We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter, and uh, it's Casual Friday. It's Casual Friday. We're doing casual things here. We normally do casual things. So be answering your questions in the YouTube chat as always. Anything, any sport, right? We got NFL coming up. We got uh, MMA, soccer, whatever, whatever you want. NBA questions, right? That's coming back in what 19 days. Got anything like that? That's what we talk about here. DFS strategy. If you're in the YouTube chat, give me those thummy thumbs. I'll wave my thumb at you until you do it. Here, thummy thumb, thummy thumb, thummy thumb, thummy thumb, thummy thumb. Hit the subscribe button if you're new. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. I see uh, Suki Singh in the chat. Get, get it here first. Uh, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of times, a lot of times you miss the first. Uh, Anthony Golding, Bobby Gunn, DJ Cicero, Real Life Pitcher. Guard fan, Yao Pete, MJC, Kurt and Linda McNackinich. Okay, two people to a couple. A couple's here. They did they do it together. Welcome to the show. Uh yesterday uh, could have gone better. I mean, I didn't have CJ Ozuma in the captain spot, so that's that's not gonna work out. That's not gonna work out. 
and DJ Chark. I had a bunch of DJ Chark. And third play of the game, gone. Gone. Who cares, right? Just done. I mean, this is NFL. It just, you're done. You're done. Uh, but uh, but it, it wasn't a bad showdown yesterday. Uh, we got we got updated blitz projections uh, this morning, it seems like. Uh, maybe updated ownership. Do we have updated ownership? Let's see. Let's take a look. No, no, I think it's about the same as yesterday. Uh, no, no, slightly updated. Slightly updated here. I could tell just from, from uh, some of the figures here. David Montgomery, is he going to be chalky? Is that, is that a good thing? Is David Montgomery chalk good? Let's see, what do we got a wide receiver? Yeah, it's kind of spread out, but mostly, you know, Cooper, Moore, Woods, Cup, Sutton at 5,700. Debo Samuels, Emmanuel Sanders, Devontae Adams. I like that. I like that ownership. 12.6% owned. Is he going to be less owned than Cup? I'm not sure about that. Not really sure. I mean, I think he's the best raw project. He's one of the best raw projection plays on the entire slate. Yeah, Henry one and Adams two, but Adams is 7,900. And then the Blitz has added Alexander Madison in. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to be a thing, but we'll see with Dalvin Cook. So, uh, so yeah, so, we, so we've got updated stuff here. So uh, if you want to talk about anything, we, we went over yesterday. If you want to, you want to get a look at what it means to be, mean lineups, not players. On yesterday's show, I just I went through the entire process of like, how do you select one lineup versus the other lineup? One construction versus another construction. So when people ask, like, do you double stack? Do you run back? Well, it depends on the lineup. It depends. There are certain double stacks that are better than certain single stacks. There are, there are certain lineups with run backs that are worse than ones without run backs. It all depends on the projections and the ownership of the players that are in the lineup. So if we take a look here, I mean, you could get a sense on what the better projected stacks and those types of lineups are by the, the projections of the players that are in the game, right? So that's why we're going to go to like Carolina, Dallas. Like we go by just like RGV, which is basically the salary adjusted value plus minus of a player at their price. We could see here, like how, how do you know that they're going to project well? Well, the more players that are in the green on the team and on the opposing team, the more likely that they're going to, they're going to project well in lineups together, right? So we see here, Cooper, Moore, Hubbard, Elliott, Lamb, even Robbie Anderson, Terrence Marshall, Schultz for a tight end. Tight ends a lot of times are not the greatest. So like, even if they're like slightly negative, that's fine. So you can see here that, ah, Carolina, Dallas, the pieces, it's not just like one great projected player and then a whole bunch of just, eh, like, no, there's multiple good projected players for their prices in the game. Let's say we go to, like, the Giants and the Saints. We take a look at this game. The only one that's above in, in, in salary-adjusted plus-minus is Kamar, right? Maybe get some Engram, right? Minus one, I mean, because he's a tight end. But, like, Galladay doesn't project well. Barkley, Callaway, like, none of these guys. So if you were to stack this game... Like all you'd be doing is adding poorer projected pieces into your lineup for the to get the correlation, but they're also poorer projected. So to play a three plus one, let's say you played the Giants and you played the Giants, uh, Daniel Jones plus Kenny Galladay plus Engram plus Kamara. Like that's not probably not going to project all that well. Having two guys in the stack that like are, are not they're not projected that. On the other side, you know, you could play, you could play Kamara with 
like a sing like a, a a mini correlation or a secondary correlation, because then you get to play Kamara plus Kamara plus Colin Johnson. Okay, okay, that's fine. But Daniel Jones doesn't doesn't project all that well, and none of the Giants really do. So the likelihood of this game stack projecting well. Now they may be low owned, right? But you have to know that the projection of the lineup is going to go down the more pieces of this game that you add to it. So you could go game by game and look at this. I mean, Colts, Colts and, uh, and the Dolphins. I mean, look, yuck. I mean, look at this. Gaskin, Taylor, the, the running backs, but then it's kind of like, eh, this is based on the blitz projections currently. So this, this game stack is not going to project well. They're also going to be low owned. So this, this game stack, the more that you add to it, the less the projection you expect to get. So maybe these are the types of games that you're more likely to, you know, skinny stack or not have a run back or something in because you may be sacrificing too much projection for the ownership. I mean, take a look at Houston Buffalo. It really doesn't project that well for their prices. You had Diggs, Singletary, Beasley, or, I mean, are okay. Maybe Allen plus Diggs plus Beasley doesn't have a run back, doesn't have because some a lot of these other guys that just don't project well. We go to Detroit and Chicago, where we have Montgomery and Swift. Mooney is meh. So this doesn't seem like a game that projects well when you stack. Tennessee uh, and the Jets. This is a little bit better. At least you get a receiver that's decent. And we have to see obviously the the status of Julio Jones. But Derrick Henry plus Corey Davis seems like a, a decently projected secondary correlation. Michael Carter, I guess. It depends on the, depends on the, some the running backs. Is Tevin Coleman going to play? I have no idea. We go to KC and Philadelphia, right? This has a couple of pieces, right? We had uh, basically the Chiefs, right? The problem is, is that there's really not on the other side, doesn't project all that well. So maybe the Chiefs are the type of thing where lineups that have no run back with the Chiefs project better than ones that have a Rager or a Smith or an Ertz, you know, as a as a run back. Can you make that up in the less ownership? I don't know, but I'm just I'm just showing how you could tell what stacks will project well the more and more you add pieces to it. Like we go to Cleveland, Minnesota. That's a game that I'm looking at. Yeah, Madison. Well, I mean, that I'm assuming, you know, this is the blitz projections. They have Madison in. But Jefferson and Thielen aren't horrible. O OBJ is not the worst thing in the world. This could be doable, I guess. The projection is not going to be all compared to the Carolina Dallas game. It's it's nowhere close. How about Washington and Atlanta? See, look, Washington and Atlanta. We have multiple guys. Right? Mike Davis, Antonio Gibson, the running backs, Ridley and McLaurin. And Kyle Pitts doesn't project all that badly for a tight end. So this is this could be a sneaky target from a projection standpoint, especially since the ownership is fairly low. I mean, McLaurin's 5.4%. Ridley's under 10%. So this, this, is, this may project well and be low owned. We'll put that, we'll put that aside for a second, right? We're going to go get game by game. I'll show you game by game. Seattle, San Francisco. Now, this one looks pretty good also. We get some green numbers here. We got Sermon, depending on the status of uh, Eli Mitchell, I guess. Is he out? I don't even see him in here. 
Uh, Ayuk, Samuel, Metcalf, Carson, Kittle, Lockett is okay. This could be doable, right? From a projection standpoint. Okay, then we go to Arizona. Okay, this isn't that bad either. It's mostly on the Rams side. Henderson, if he plays. Cup, Woods, Edmonds. Higby's not horrible, right? This would be more of a stack from the Stafford side, right? You do Stafford, Cup, Woods, Edmonds, or something like that. That would project well. Baltimore, Denver, yeah, nothing. I mean, like, look. Right, this looked like looked like one-offs, and that's about it, right? No one projects all that well. Fant, I guess. Sutton, I guess, a little, maybe. And we have the Steelers-Packers game. Not horrible. We, we need to know, obviously, the status of Johnson and Juju. But I, I could see secondaries here. Adams plus Harris. That's doable. So let's say we go to Washington. Atlanta. Let's say, let's say that's what we do. We're going to compare Carolina and Dallas. Double stacks. To Washington. We could do double stacks, right? McLaurin plus who? Humphreys, I guess. Ridley plus Pitts. Let, let's, let's look at doubles. Let, let's look at doubles with the run. Let's look at the, the full form of the stack, the three plus one between the two. Just to show the differences. Because we already know Carolina and Dallas is going to be the top projected one. So I'm going to go to build rules. We're going to unique players one. Limit that to 49.5. I'm going to go to stacks. I'm going to add the primary stack. Basically this with the run back, 100%. Right? And what I'm going to do so I can get a swath of each of them. Let's say just let's run 60 lines. Or let's run 40 lines. We don't even have to run that many lines. It'll take too much time. Okay, so 40 lineups. I'm going to the player pool. Maybe we should run a little bit more because I'm going to do multiple quarterbacks. So I'm going to do 25% on Prescott. I'm going to do 25% on Darnold. I'm going to do 25% on Ryan and Heineke, I guess. Heineke. This is using the blitz projections. Okay, so 20, so a quarter each. That's And obviously the quarterback is tied to the stack that we set up in the stack section. So I should get 10 lineups of each. Let's see how they compare to one another. But this Atlanta Washington should should they should project decent pretty well. Not as probably not as it's not going to be as good as Carolina Dallas, but it'll probably beat out most of the other games. Just basically just just looking at the projections of the players. Okay. Now these have Madison. Okay, we're gonna have to get rid of Madison. Okay, because I I I Cook should be in, and and the, the ownership is going to be all screwed up because he's, you know, he's only coming into point one percent owned at a twenty point projection. That's gonna that's gonna screw a lot of things up. Okay, so let's run forty now. So we're comparing as we should be doing in DFS, projection to ownership. That that that's all this game is. How do I get the highest projection for the lowest ownership? And depending on the contest size that you're in and the payout structure. How much projection are you willing to give up for the amount of ownership? Okay, so let's go. 
So we have here, we got all, okay, we got most, the most they tried to make as many. Obviously made more Prescott than anything else. But we got some lineups here, okay? So we look here, we got the 154.43 at 117. So these are the Prescott lineups. We're going to get mostly Prescott up here. So let's take a let's take a look at the Sam Darnold lines on the other way, right? One fifty one one fifty one at one hundred three versus one fifty four at one seventeen for Dak Prescott. Matt Ryan one forty eight point nine three at seventy eight percent ownership. Tyler Henneke, one fifty point one four at sixty eight percent ownership. So if we go by, let's say. Uh, let's get rid of some of these Dak Prescott lineups. Okay. Let's let's try to find like the lowest owned that's halfway decent. Here's a 104. Okay. I, I saw a 104 down there. Let's say that 104, anything better than a 104? Because right, some of these are high owned. I mean, look, 154, 130, 113, 90, here's a 99. Right, the Daryl Henderson up here. If he, I'm assuming he plays, one twenty one. Okay, so which one looks better? So are we willing to sacrifice a point for that? I don't know. So let's get to the one hundred four. Okay, and let's get the best Sam Darnold lineup we could find. One hundred three. One hundred three point eight. Let's see. Can we beat out one hundred three? Oh, ninety. There's a ninety five that I just clicked off of. Okay, let's keep this one. And then let's go to the Matt Ryan lineups. 148 at 78. 148 at 78. Let's see, can we beat that? 148 at 77. I mean, we're barely giving up anything, whatever. 79. That's 101. Okay, so we're going to get the best Matt Ryan lineup and the Heineke lineups. 150 at 68. 150 at 64. Okay, that, that seems a little bit better. 95 is too high. These are too high in comparison. 65. Okay. We'll get the best, the best, quote unquote, out of out of those four. We're not caring about who else is in the lineup. Okay. So if we take a look here. The Dak Prescott lineup is 104% owned, 153 projection. Okay. The best Darnold one sacrifices one and a half points, but doesn't give up, doesn't really change the ownership all that much. And it's Tommy Tremble in here. So comparatively between the two, like, am I willing to give up one and a half point projection for barely any ownership? Probably not. So I'd say the Dak Prescott lineup is still better than this one. Okay. But look, look how much ownership I dropped. Three points in projection between this Dak Prescott stack and the Tyler Taylor Heineke stack. You, you drop 40 percentage points in ownership, but you're only sacrificing three points in projection. I think this lineup is very good. Yeah, this, this, this is a lineup. Here we go. And we get down to here. We sacrifice another point in projection to get Matt Ryan instead. So really, the Heineke lineup is better. So if you see here, the expected value between these two lineups may end up being equal to each other. 
If you believe that three points in projection is worth giving up 40 percentage points in ownership. If anything, I actually think maybe the Heineke lineup has a higher expected value. To give up that much ownership for only three points in median projection, I think I, I think that's very good for this slate. Assuming all these numbers are right. I mean, like Trey, we have Trey Sermon here at 0.1% owned. I don't I have no idea what's going to happen. But just based on the current numbers that we have. Maybe I should get rid of Sermon also, just like we did with Madison. But this is what you should be comparing it to. So this, these are the double stacks. So if someone comes to you and says, uh, I'm going to play a Tyler, Taylor Heineke Washington stack with Mike Davis run back. And you go, what are you, an idiot? It's like, well, the numbers say, look at the numbers and the ownership. Why wouldn't I? The, the ownership of this lineup was 104% also. Obviously, you play the higher projection. But the only reason that these lineups, these Washington Atlanta lineups are coming up somewhat respectable compared to the Cowboys-Panthers one is because they project, based on the blitz at least, they, these players project fairly well for their prices in one game together. So we went and if we if we did like we did that that uh, the Saints Giants game, like I said before, that's like Kamara's fine, but everything else. Like imagine we did that. We go we go to to Daniel Jones. I don't even know where he is. Where's Daniel Jones? Yeah, he, he did. I locked him in. Run twenty lineups. I mean the ownership should be low, but I mean the projection's not going to be very good at all. Right, total 146, 89% owned, 146. Like, look, we were, I, I, I had a six, look, look in the last build. Look at that Taylor Heineke line. 150 at 64. The best Daniel Jones one is one, you're giving up four points in projection and it's actually 25% more owned as the best possible lineup for Daniel Jones as a double stack. Right, I don't even know if we could find a low. I mean, a low enough owned one that keep maintains a projection because you're going to have to play Cooper, you're going to have to play Adams, you're going to have to play Montgomery, you're going to have to play some of these guys just to raise your projection high enough. Can we? I mean, can we find seventy eight percent owned over here? One forty five point four one, eighty percent. Can can we can we beat out seventy eight in the top twenty? I mean, some of these are just ridiculously too high. Like, one, why would you play a lineup that's 144.91 at 116% ownership just to get in Jones, Galladay, and Engram? It's probably not worth, not worth it to play in comparison to so many other lineups that you could play. All right, we're not going to find pretty much any. Right. I mean, these lineups are, these lineups are higher owned and lower projected. Is it possible to play a giant in the lineup as a one-off? Yes, of course. But to add three of them together when they don't project well, probably not. You're not you're not even getting significant enough ownership discount to do so in building these lines. But we we but I could tell. I mean, I didn't have to build the Daniel Jones lineups to know this. I went game. I looked at the projections game by game, right, and go. How many good projected players are in this game? Oh, not many. Kamara and nothing. So most likely these types of game stacks are not are not going to project well, unless they're one percent. Unless everyone is one percent owners, you know. Every, even then, who knows? That's why you build them and you see. 
going through the YouTube chat. Uh, Ryan H. Blender, if the bill stacks were currently projected and you did your normal process of building lineups, why force jam bills lineups? Or is that a bias? You just devote a part of your bankroll to it. Well, you could still build, you could still build bills lineups that project well. It's more about diversification. Obviously, if you were going to play the top projected lineups, then you play primarily Carolina, Dallas, and just if that game fails, I guess you lose all your money. Yes, that's just it. No, you diversify. I play more good lineup, more well-projected, lower-owned lineups, but I try to find a balance. You can find I could probably find a Daniel Jones lineup stack that equals like the 700th best Dak Prescott lineup, right? So if I'm willing to play the 700th best Dak Prescott lineup, I might as well just play the first Daniel Jones. That's what I mean by diversification. This this does not take into account how much diversification that you want. Can I find, let's see, a Josh Allen double double stack with a run back? Let's see, where was Josh Allen? Let's see, let's see what we could get here based on the current project. Right, based on the current numbers. Who knows? Let's see. Is this the type of week where I'm going to play a ton of them? No, probably not. Right? These don't project, right? They don't, the run, especially with the run back, they don't project that well. No one in Houston projects well. Right? 142, 141, 144. And this is even using Trey Sermon, which who, who's not going to be 0.1% owned if he plays. Yeah, these lineups aren't very good. So I'm more likely, if I do Josh Allen, let me go into build rules. Let me go into the stack section. And take off this 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 run back. Because remember, okay, so we saw that without with the run back, which is most likely like Jordan Aikens or something, the tight end spot. 142 at 101. Now we just don't force that run back. The projection should go up. Let's see. Yeah, here we go. 146. 0.49 at 107. So this is much better. They're not the greatest of lineups. I'm putting Dawson Knox in here. They're not great, but I mean, I'll probably still be playing lineups in this range. If we take, if we knock out some of the, some of the, let's see, what, what do we have to beat? 107, 96. Here's a 96 one. Okay. 96, 94. A 94, 89. I don't mind. Okay. Now we're getting into range, right? About 90% total ownership or so. Get rid of these. Can anything beat 89.9? 81? This isn't that bad, right? So maybe maybe I play one of these two lines, something like this, right? A Josh Allen non-run back lineup. That's 145 projection at about 90%. 89, this one is... 144.26 at 81. Because I may be playing other lineups in other in other games that are a very similar projection and similar ownership. So maybe I find a couple of Josh Allen lineups to throw in there. Instead of continuing to build Carolina Dallas lineups with different one-offs in them. So yeah, I'm assuming some, that there'll be some Josh Allen lineups to get in into range into my builds. 
but not as many, not as many as I had last week, right? Let's see. MJC, Jordan, what's your typical correlation strategy in NBA? Seems many winning lineups have players from the same team and game. Maybe a front court player with the bat. Those types of correlations are barely exist. The, the, the top correlation is that two sides of a game that goes over its total and is close until the end. Because that essentially means the starters play maximum minutes and the game total goes over. So it's over expectation. Other than that, I, there's, there's not much correlation. Oh, a front court play, a center with a point guard. Don't even worry about it. You're going to get simplify, simplify everything. Okay. Just like we do in NFL. Do you play this type of guy and that type of, you're overthinking it, overthinking completely. Or same thing in baseball. Well, can you play, can you play two, three, five? Can you skip a gap in your stack? Yeah. Play, just play five guys from the same team. Don't worry about all the plate appearance expectation is already in the projection. They're all correlated to each other, right? It's more important to get five guys from the same team onto a lineup than care about where they are in the order. So just don't worry about it. It's not important enough, right? So that's the same type of thing in NBA. Don't even think about it. Play the best projected players and play two sides of a game, right? If you're going to play, if the Clippers are playing the Bucks, if you're going to play Paul George, play Giannis on the other side, right? If, he, if you're going to fit two studs in, you're going to play Paul George on one side and then Harden in some other game. It would make more sense to just play. If Giannis and Harden project similarly, play play the guy that's across from a, another guy that needs the game to go over and be close. That's about it. Oh. Let's see. Daniel Winford. So I have conflicting thoughts on two wide receiver stacks and wonder, wondering if you could explain. Well, he only did one of them. Okay, okay, I see both of them. On one hand, if the quarterback does well and there's a high over-under, there's high touchdown equity. But if one receiver does well, does it not cannibalize the ceiling of the other given the opportunity? Yes. Two, the, wide the wide receivers are, are negatively correlated to their ceilings, but they're both positively correlated to the quarterback. Doing two wide receiver stacks, this is the reason why two wide receiver stacks, especially in large field GPPs, it depends on the prices of the receivers. Lockett plus Metcalf in a, a Wilson Lockett Metcalf lineup, I I almost ne I never I never make when they're both seven K receivers, or even Jefferson Thielen, because in large field I need like to get all my spots right. So like in small field I don't mind it. In small field three hundred person field. Like, I don't mind if Metcalf gets 39 and Lockett gets seven, like that's all I need. That's like getting 22 each from, from them anyway. And I don't need, I don't need a million points to win a small field GPP, but in a large field GPP, I, you know, when we had Winston with Godwin and Evans, I, and I would never play them together. and people would. And I just think you're sacrificing too much ceiling to do so. Yes. If, if that team scores 59 points, yeah, then they're, you're fine. Right. <laughs> then you're fine. But no, you're absolutely right. But it depends on the prices of the players. Josh Allen doubles aren't aren't bad. Like Josh Allen last week, I mean, Diggs is 7K plus, but Beasley and Sanders are 5K or below. Well, that's why a lot of times I pair a receiver and a tight end. If I, especially if tight end is kind of a wasteland. It's like, why not, why not put Gerald Everett in your in your in your Russell Wilson stacks? 
Dawson Knox in your draft challenge stacks. It's better than playing a one-off tight end from that range anyway. Like, why would I play Evan Ingram instead of Dawson Knox if I already have Josh Allen and one receiver in my lineup? But it all comes down to price. It has nothing to do with two wide receivers on the same team. Because the ceiling for a $4,500 player, I don't need 35 points from them. I'd love 35 points, but I don't need it. You give me, you give me 15 to 18, 20. That could be done while the other wide receiver has 35 points. But two 7K receivers, two 8K receivers, it's very unlikely that they'll both get 35 plus points. Uh, uh, GG91, do you think there are certain sports that might lead to better ROI to playing a more exploitative strategy versus a balanced one? You always have a better ROI with an exploitative strategy, right? You Exploitative will always have a higher ROI. The only difference is that you need to know where to exploit. That that's that's the only thing. If, you, if you're wrong, you have a negative ROI. In NFL, it seems like you could really exploit the field. In every sport, you can. Literally every sport. That's the game. That that is how I play. That is the game of what you're playing. I think it's tougher for the average person to play a balanced strategy. It's tougher. I wouldn't, I wouldn't attempt it because how would, how would you know what a balanced strategy is? For the average player, it'd be much better to play exploitive, even if you're going to be wrong some of the time. Understand balanced strategies mean that you're going to play players and lineups at the level that they theoretically should be played. But how do you get to, how do you get to that? What's that? How do you know how often should they be played? You don't. If you, if you don't have some type of process to figuring that out, like how would you ever play a balance? You can't play a balance strategy, right? You can't. Exploitative, all you have to be is directionally correct more often than not. So for instance, if we're going on a player level, just on a player level, really technically should be done on a lineup level, but on a player level, let's say player X is, is going to be 24% of. Let's say we know he's projected for 24% ownership. And let, let's just say he is he, he ends up being 24% owned. What, what should he be owned? Like what, what should, from a theoretical standpoint, based on his range of outcomes and the construction of all the lineups and in this contest and everything, what should he be owned? Well, if he should be owned at 28%, then you should have him at 20, then you should have him in 28% of your lineups, right? Like that, that, like that. We take away the the lineup level. That's this is not a perfect way to do it, but let's just say for for a conceptual standpoint, he's going to be twenty four percent owned. He should be twenty eight percent owned. Now, how do you come out? How how do you know that he should be twenty eight percent owned? Like, what's your process to get to that point? If you don't have one, then how do you ever play a? How do you can you possibly play a bal a balanced strategy? You can't. If you play an exploitive strategy, all you have to do is look at the 24% owned and go, should he be that low or should he be that high? I don't need to know the exact, I don't need to know the exact number. I can guess. I go from, from, from this projection, from what I'm going from, I'm building my lineups. This guy's going to be 24% owned. He probably should be higher. And because he should be higher, you play him at a higher frequency than 24%. 
right? You play him, maybe you end up playing him in 28%. You don't know that that's his theoretical balanced ownership, efficient ownership. Let's say you end up playing him at 32%. You play him in a third of your lineups because you believe that he should be higher owned than 24%. Well, now you're playing the exploitative strategy. Now you're playing him higher than the efficient ownership, which means you're now exploiting all the people that are not playing him at 28% balanced, right? Now, if you're wrong on this, then obviously your lineup. So you, he, 24%, but he, his the efficient ownership is 20%, and you think that he's under-owned, now, now, now the field is exploiting you, right? But how do you get to that efficient ownership? Unless you tell me you, you have some process to get to the exact efficient ownership, and then you're going to play players and lineups at that, at that frequency, like, how do you play? You can't play a balanced strategy. There's no, where do, where, where do those numbers come from? Right? Where, where do they come from? Unless you're going to guess on those also. And if you're, if you're going to guess on those, you might as well just play an exploitive strategy. If you're guessing, you're going to be directionally accurate. So this is all of DFS. It's not just NFL. This is all of DFS. I mean, this is, we're talking about a macro, macro strategy for, for anything. Golf, MMA, MMB, NBA, it doesn't matter. Uh, Paul Adair, is there anywhere in lineup HQ to quickly make a group of sub 5% or sub 10% owned players? Well, obviously you could just, you could make a group with all those players, but we also have, uh, can we do that in custom settings? There's a custom rule and there's an ownership, right? So what are you, what are you looking to do? Let's see group of 5% or sub 10%. Like, let's say you wanted this, this may, let's say all positions or whatever, whatever it is. Let's say you wanted to make sure that you have at least one player that is sub 10% owned. Like you could do that in custom, custom rules. Give my lineups at least one player or it could be any one receiver, right? It could be, let's say I want one, at least one running back or wide receiver who has at most 10% projected on, right? So that's under, at most 10%. You can make that 5%, right? If you wanted two of them, right? Give me a lineups at least one player. Or it, could be at, it could be less than one, right? At most. I mean, you could use these whichever way you want. But this would be the easiest way. So instead of grouping all those players together, you go, no, give me, give me at least one running back or wide receiver that is at most 10% off. This would be the, I, I, the easiest way to do that type of thing. So yes, with, you have the ability. Or you could just obviously go in and just add, add all the players. You could use this group function, but instead of going to the groups page, you could always add a player to a group with this GP thing over here. Right, you click on the thing and you could add to whatever group is available. So even if you did have, you know, like, you know, all these one wide receivers, you know, I want to add all the ones that are under five percent, and you just go click, 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 click. I mean, it'll take a take it'll it'll take a decent amount of time, but it'd still be still be shorter than going to the groups page and just manually adding all the players. Uh Alan Alexander, I love the masterclass. Thank you. I get all the concepts. Okay. My question is, is it just trial and error for figuring out lineups for each contest? I find myself 
over leveraging for small field. Over leveraging is not necessarily horrible for small field contests, only because the the the, the ownership tends to get concentrated. Uh, small field contests are a much different beast than uh, than large field stuff. There multiple multiple paths work. You'd have to simulate out the contests in order to figure that out. Right. It's try if you don't have any methodology behind simulating contests, then yes, it will it will be trial and error. You're absolutely right. It will you will be guessing. Right. But most of the time in smaller field contests, you don't need to sacrifice that much projection to get to, to leverage yourself. But if your projection, you have a if you have a lineup that is only two points off like top optimal lineup and it's like only 10% total owned. May seem like over leverage, but that seems like the greatest lineup ever. Well, why wouldn't you play it? Right? Really, really comes down to that. How much projection are you giving up? Not, not a matter of like how, how if you're over leveraged with the, the ownership percentage. If you're only giving up two or three points, and so who cares at that point? You're playing the better lineup no matter what. You go into the small field contest and people are playing lineups at let's say 140 per. Uh, projection and 150% ownership, and you're playing a lineup that's 137% projection at 40% ownership. Why shouldn't you give up? Why shouldn't you get 100 points in, in ownership for only three points in projection? Just play the lineup. Who cares at that point? Oh. A real king. Yes, real king learn, learn, learn. It's not a painful lesson. It's just, it's when you use ownership sum, you're using it as a very blunt tool, right? I say I learned a painful lesson. Had a lineup with 113% total ownership and dropped it for one with 93%. The 113% lineup would have won a boatload of cash while the other bombed. Forgot to look at the lineup as a whole. And while the first one was higher ownership, it only had three chalk plays that boosted the overall number. The rest of the plays were sub 8%. That's correct. Whenever we talk about ownership sum, remember that's not that you're using it pure. That's a blunt, very blunt way of doing it. You're missing lineups that are actually have higher leverage, even though they have higher total ownership. Understand that if you play, if you play two 30, let's say you play two 20% owned players together. That's 40% total ownership. Let's say then the other, you're playing uh, a 35% owned guy with a 5% owned guy. That one has more leverage in it than the 220s, right? Let's say you're playing a 20% uh, a owned guy and a 15% owned guy together. That's 35 total. That's still less leverage than a 35 plus a 5 even though the other one is four, right? So you have to look at the individual lines. That's using ownership sum is a blunt tool, very blunt. Going through lineups individually would be better. Simulating it out would be better than that. So understand that. So like you're going through, oh, this one is 94 and that one's 93. Well, it could be that the 93 is way better than the 94. You have to look, look at the lineup individually if you want. If you just used ownership sum as a blunt tool, it would be better than using than not using anything, right? Right. I'm trying to get you from from point A, which is like not using it anything at all, not comparing projection and ownership together, to having some some type of methodology, something that is 
more directionally accurate than what you're, you were doing. Then go from there. Then you can go manually through and go like, which lineups are the, the better way to do it is actually ownership product, multiplying the ownerships together. But most optimizers don't, lineup HQ doesn't give you an ownership product. You could do that in Excel if you want. So I'm, I'm, I'm showing you the blunt ways of doing it with the tools that already exist. I could do ownership product. I could just run it in Excel, right? But if you, unless you're going to be here with, with me running stuff in Excel, how is that going to help you? There's tons of stuff you could do in Excel. There's tons of stuff you could do in Python or R. You're running stuff all I mean, but that's outside of the scope of what normal people can do. If you do that, great. Then you don't need, you don't need this show. <laughs> you don't need this show anymore, right? That that. That's the correct way to do it. But most people don't have the ability to do that, do that, do that, or do that well. I think a lot of the people would have an ability to do it, just doing it well. That would be that it, it would end up being profitable. I've, I've I've built my own little simulations before. I don't trust them and they're slow and they they hack together. And I go, the numbers come out and I go, I can't trust any of this. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense, right? And it takes me four years in order to do it, right? I mean. I've built simulations in order to get a thousand simulations out. I have to, you know, leave my computer on and go for a walk, right? It shouldn't be that slow. It shouldn't, it shouldn't, but I, I, I don't know how to do it any other way. And it turns out that if I did it that way and I did it, you know, using blunt methodologies and I end up being just as profitable anyway. Uh, Justin Galwitzer, how do you choose which DKGPP contest you enter? Well, it depends on the lineups that are built. Right, you start with you start with lineups, right? You don't start with contests, right? Or you no, actually you start with contests and then you start with lineups. So if you're going to play a large field contest, you have to build large field lineups. And if I'm building large field lineups, I'm going to be playing large field contests. Rob B, hey Blender, took down the mini the mini first down last week, a dollar to four hundred bucks. Your course has gotten me four binks this year. Three or four, 5K or less fields and 150K field. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, let's see. Any other questions? Feel free to put them in. Uh, for the people that like, I, people, it seems Friday is always MMA day. I could show you my MMA spreadsheet. Updated odds today. Uh, and also just the ownership and projections from RG which I don't necessarily agree with all of them, but as they currently stand, there's, we got, we got what, four women's fights and one five rounder. And it's a, Ve it's a Vegas card. So like, like it, this isn't the highest level of, of MMA, but based on, based on the current ownership, I mean, De Silva de Andrade stands, if he's only 22% owned, he's a plus 150 inside the distance. And that seems like the contrarian play up top. Same thing for like maybe Aspen Lad, and for one and for once, and a lot of times in my in my little little uh, leverage model, the main event fighters don't don't end up coming coming projecting that well. Projecting they they come out as a positive leverage, but it turns out this main event it is. So many, I mean, really, the past two months I've been under on like all the main events, the five round fights, but this five rounder actually actually does i mean when when santos up here at 8800 shows higher leverage than like casey o'neill or even rosa i guess 
and some of these other guys, like, yeah, I'll probably have a lot of the main event. Same for Walker down here. Like, it's not as, not as good as some other guys, but, I mean, still .78 down here in this range. Ain't that bad. Really, the, the underdogs I'd be looking at would be, would be Shani Young. I don't know what her ceiling is, but, I mean, if she's only going to be 11% owned, 8,000, maybe you get, you get a win. I mean, maybe, maybe all you need is a win in this card. I don't know. Then you got Kyle Dawkins, his great, great leverage. It's only, I can't, he's not going to just be 10% owned against, uh, against who? Devontae Smith? So if Devontae Smith is going to be 31% and Dawkins will be 10, just give me all the Dawkins. Right? He's only plus, only because he's plus 450 inside the distance, but, uh, but a 10% ownership. But I mean, if you turn this like 10%, if you turn this into 20% ownership, He'd be horrible, right? So 15% ownership. He'd be eh, meh, right? So look, look, look how dramatic the differences are. If he's 10% owned, he's, he's the best rated underdog. If he's 12% owned, he's, Serkinov is better rated, right? Than him, he's, he's right? I mean, like the difference of two percentage points in ownership changes it that much. If he's 14% owned, right? Then you would rather play Alex Oliveira, right? You'd rather play uh, uh, Antonina Shevchenko at that point or something, right? So 10%, now he moves up more. So that's, how, that's, how, that's how marginal some of this stuff is. If you tell me Kyle Dawkins is 17% owned, then, then no, he's, he's, he ends up being a meh, like just, uh, just one of the meh underdog plays. It's like, eh, I guess so. 10%, it's like, oh my God, give me a lot of him. But that's the difference between this is perfectly put exploitative versus balanced. That's exactly what I'm doing with this spreadsheet. Using the most correlative metrics, finding out which, which guys are more owned than they should be. And I scale it down to one. So in theory, in theory, anyone with a one rating is efficiently owned. Anyone with, I mean, this, it's not going to be perfect because I don't take salary into account, but that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Based on their odds to put up a hundred points, how efficient should they be? Owned? Like, what is their efficient ownership? The ones that obviously that have higher numbers than one, I'm looking to exploit the field by playing more. Uh, Daniel Winford, to find max necessary leverage, couldn't you take your lowest owned player's ownership, then multiply ownership percentage to see how close you are to the number of entries in the field? Yes, Daniel. I talk about that in the exact, I talk, I literally talk about that in the course. Theoryofdfs.com. I literally talk about that. Using that, I mean, that's a, you're, what you're doing is essentially using ownership product and then multiplying it by the size of the field. Then if it's, if, if the number is under one, you're fine from a directional standpoint. No, I, li I literally taught, I mean, it's literally in the course, right? So if you want to get it, Theory Daily Fantasy Sports, it's a 15 hour audio DFS masterclass. I talk about all these types of things, right? Instead of having to piece together through, you know, 500 shows that I've done here, it's all in one place. It's like a seminar, 15 hour seminar, me and James McCool. How to think like a professional DFS player. Applies to any sport, right? Game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, psychology. Got everything, right? People, people listen to it multiple times. So yeah, so go pick that up.
Easy Money 333. Blender, I'm running the top projected lineup for NFL and double up showdowns and a 10 of 11 of the slate so far. Is this going to regress or is there just a huge edge in NFL double ups from lots of fish? Well, you're not, you're not going to, a, a 90, a, a, a 91% win rate, yes, that's going to regress. You're, you're not, no, it's not, you're not going to sustain that. That's, I, I can tell you that from experience. No, you're not going to keep it there. If you have a 60% win, win rate, you're, you're good, right? Uh, but yes, if you're playing, play low, play the softest opponents you can. If you're playing low stakes and you're diversifying your action, there's no reason why, if you have good projections to just, there you go, play the top, there you go. Easy money, right? Easy money. Easy money. There you go. But but don't expect 91% win rate. No, 60%. Right? You go the entire, if you go to an entire NFL season and go 65, 65 to 70%, that's a that's a good, that's a good season. So no, 10 out of 11, that's you're just running up. Right? That, that's unsustainable. But yes, I would go with Daniel Winfield. So, you know, try to find the weakest opponents you can, right? Low entry fees and single entry double ups. Yeah. You also play head to heads. That's a way to mitigate some of your risk also. A lot of times the double ups, either you're going to win them all or lose them. And head to heads, maybe you could lose your double ups and still win more than half of your head to heads possibly, right? So play, play $1, $2 head to heads. Play 25 of them. So instead of a $25 double up, play 25 $1 head downs in addition to your dollars and everything. Okay. Talk about MMA or real life pitcher. Was that good enough for you? Was that was simple enough for the real life pitcher? Was MMA enough? The, all, the things that I noticed about this MMA card is that in comparison, remember, I I typically on most slates am under on the main event. Most late, most slates because it tends it, it tends to be too owned. It's over owned. This slate, I actually have the main event as as maybe even under owned, right? Which is rare. If I'm saying that, that means it has to mean something because a lot of times I don't have a main event fighter in a lot of my life. I think a lot of people will play Walker, right? Because the, the dogs here are not the greatest of dogs. I think most of the dogs that people are going to play are going to be in this frame. People aren't going to play. I, I, Beth Correa is, is, is not going to be 17% owned. I, I highly doubt that. She's going to get crushed by Carol Rosa. <coughs> but I think a lot of people are going to go in this Walker, Malarkey, Sakrunov, uh, Dawkins, or like this range. And, and they're inevitably going to land on Johnny Walker. That's why I think Santos at 38% don't actually may be less owned. The people are going to want to play Rosa and Hernandez and Casey O'Neill. They're going to want to play Devontae Smith in that range. I think Holland is over-owned. If he's going to be 34%. Like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if he's going to be 34% though. I think people are going to, I think the primary construction is going to be one 9K level fighter and then people going up the middle to try to avoid playing anything from Chiasan down to avoid playing a $7,300 to $6,800 fighter. So they're going to, they're going to do one of these, they're going to play Alexander Hernandez. Then they're going to play like Santos Smith, uh, you know, it's, uh, Smith, Price, Walker, 
Gordon, you know, like something in that, like you're going to do some type of lineup like that. That's going to be the pre pre predominant construction. I don't think stars and scrubs are actually going to be, I think, you know, playing, playing like two 9K guys and then betting on one of these underdogs under 7,400. I think a lot of my lineups are going to look like that. I don't think Dawkins is going to be 10% owned. Like I said, this is just based on our current RG ownership projections. Well, as I always say, like I, I consider myself very good at just intuitively <coughs> knowing ownership. So obviously I, I do aggregate other sources when I put in these columns, but I do manually adjust, right? Like I don't, I just, I don't think Dawkins is going to be 10% owned. I don't think Korea is going to be 17% owned. I just I don't I don't see how people get down there for it. It's such a because they go that's a woman's fight. I mean I don't know. I think Rose is going to be more on than twenty percent, and I don't think Holland is going to be thirty four. I don't think Nico Price is going to be forty one. Maybe he's thirty. Maybe he's thirty thirty two to thirty five, but forty one I'm not sure. Ah, plus one thirty at the eighty four hundred. Yeah, maybe. <clears throat> but that's how I that's how I see this card. And then I use all this and then I build my lineups. There you go. Not hard. But I'm using the same, what I'm doing on this sheet is the same concept that I was talking about before. How do I get the highest projection for the lowest ownership? Right now in MMA projections are, I mean, meetings, who cares? I mean, this is all, you know, it's all linear, right? Guy wins, a guy loses. I mean, that's, no one scores in the middle. Like, oh, everyone's going to score the median. No, it's going to, someone's going to score 110 or 12. Like it's not going to be like 55 in the middle. So I'm more likely to just go like who, who is better odds to finishing than, than their ownership and then building lineups appropriately that have proper amount of leverage in them. And that's what I use these numbers. Sean uh, George, seeing some massive projections out there for Justin Fields this week. Do you have a lean on where his ownership ends up this week? I don't, I don't know. I think he'll be lower on than he was last week. What do we have? What do we have? 10%. No, okay. No, we have him up there. Because he does, he does project, he does project well for his price at 5200 No, yeah, no, he'll be owned. I think he'll be more owned in cash games, maybe. I don't know. <coughs> Will I be playing him cash? Maybe. But yeah, I see the highest owned quarterbacks. You know, pretty much Prescott, Darnold, Fields, Alley. I mean, yeah, it's all here. Stafford, maybe a little bit more. Now, Field Fields is going to get ownership. It's just a matter of who do you pair him with, and do you think that has a ceiling? I'm not even sure if I play. I'm not even sure if I play Bears stacks or anything in in GPPs. It's a 22.25 total. There's tons of other. I'd much. I like. I like the Washington Atlanta game. Minnesota, Cleveland. Seattle, San Francisco, a lot of these other games have much higher totals. I think from a median standpoint, an average standpoint, you know, a Chicago stack looks okay. I mean, from an average perspective. From a ceiling, I don't, I'm, I'm, I doubt it. So yeah, they, they project well median-wise. I, I just question the ceilings. Ah. <sighs> Danny Wilford says, props to Devonta Smith fighting on Saturday and then an NFL game on Sunday. Right, fade him for Rieger if he gets KO'd. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's a different Devonta Smith. I don't, even, I, don't even know, I don't even know most of those fighters. 
Right, I just put the oh, it's Devante. Devante. It has an e at the end, spelled differently. So no, they're two different people. Okay, give me those thumbs up buttons on your way out the door. I'm gonna wave my thumbs at you until you give me some thummy thumbs. Uh, hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Uh, you could always get the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, my 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. Uh, and uh, you hit the notification bell on this channel for, uh, for you know, it, we, you know when we go live. Uh, I'll be back on later today. Uh, we record the show. It's not a live show, the Advanced Sports Analytics Show. So that should be posted. We record at 2.30 Eastern. So that should be posted somewhere around four or five o'clock or something. So that'll be back on the channel. We got, we got live shows tomorrow uh, uh, here on YouTube. Obviously, Sunday morning before lock. We got the college football premium content on Saturday mornings. And we got tons of stuff, right? MMA, the Grounded Pound podcast is out. I got to listen to that. We got MMA stuff. We got soccer projections out for tomorrow for EPL. We got everything for you here. So click on the link in the description. Get $10 off your first month of Roto Grinders Premium. And, uh, and uh, it's Friday. And I'll, I'll, see, I'll see you guys next week. As, as I'm always here. I'm always here. Monday through Friday at 11 o'clock Eastern for the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.